Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to the show this week. We've got some great stuff lined up for you. We're going to be talking about a number of different things. Got a very interesting news segment this week. Some, uh, let's just say, sci-fi stuff that's coming to life. Joining me this week will be Jeremy and Gretchen, of course. Steve's going to be with us with a guest, and they're going to be talking about some stuff a little later on in the show. I won't give it away, but just know that it's out there. One of the other things we're going to be talking about this week is YouTube. And, uh, you know, this is something that certainly has been talked about a lot before. But one of the questions that came in is the idea of regulation and some kind of what's old and is new again idea is, is it possible to do things like subliminal messages? Yeah, we're going to investigate that a little bit and see what we found and see what we found with the regulation. Also got some events coming up for you. We're going to be at the Global Gaming Expo October 4th through 7th doing a live shot from there. And it looks like we're probably going to the Emerald City Comic Con. Now, I know I've promised this a few times and with the world the way it is, I don't promise it until after we're there. But we're going to give it a try and hopefully be able to be on site. And another one that's coming up is the Consumer Electronics Show next year. With no further ado, let's get the news. Our Landscaping Services is a small local business working hard to provide you excellent services and great communication for all your landscaping construction. Reach out to us for your new paver patio, retaining wall, artificial turf installation, walkways, fencing, and more. We will work with you to make your backyard dream a reality. Call 971-708-2123. So what's in the news? LG now offers the world's largest TV. All right, so some specs here, and I think this might be a little bigger. I figured out I could fit this in my living room if I raise the ceiling height by five feet and I have 10-foot ceilings. So, so is, wow. this, is this the Weird Al uh, um, TV? Well, uh, this is 325 inch. How big was Weird Al's TV? 2,000. Okay, so this is still not Weird Al's TV, but it is getting there. Weird Al's TV was bigger than a uh, drive-in movie screen. It's 126 feet wide. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> so, so this TV screen is more like Fahrenheit 451? Yeah, this would be a Fahrenheit 451 scenario. Actually, probably a little bit bigger. The 8K version of it which is wall size, requires a couple of things, and one of them is for you to have a lot of money. The mm -hmm. retail mm -hmm. price is about $1.7 million. Oh, wow. And it requires a $30,000 per session twice a year, quote-unquote, health check to make sure the thing keeps running right. And has a lot of diodes. Now, they do have some cheaper versions. There's a 4K of the same size. Uh -huh. And a regular high definition, but you know this is kind of like if you're going to buy the expensive car, get the get the leather, get the upgrades. If you're going to go here, go for 8K. If you want to go for something cheaper, there is a rollable 100 inch television that is available for a hundred thousand dollars. So that would be the next step. What wow. this is is to compete with Samsung's 300 inch TV that just came out. So they wanted something a little bit bigger. I don't know. I, I still remember Chaz at the Consumer Electronics Show last time it was on, looking at this and going, this is a great TV. And then he just stops. How would I get this in my house? And yeah. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, you'd have to rip the wall out. I mean, the door or something. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we could pop the, we could pop the, the, the whole row of front windows out. 
Yeah, the front our front windows would well, work. Yeah, it's only because we have picture window. But, they're you know. huge, yeah. unusually huge. Hmm. But yeah. you wouldn't be able to bring it in any other way. And you'd still need about a fifteen foot healing site uh, ceiling height just to just to fit the thing in. So it's uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, that's you know, I just anyway. So if anyone pops for the television, give us a call. I'd love to see it, and I'd love yeah, to meet no you. Um, <laughs> All right. Do we want a real-world version of Jurassic Park? Yeah, a geneticist named George Church is working on this, and if his startup gets funded, we probably are going to have something like this, you know, what could possibly go wrong, right? Uh, Lab-grown woolly mammoths could walk the earth in six years if geneticists' new startup succeeds. And we're starting with woolly mammoths, that wouldn't be a problem, but, you know, think about where you could go from there. Well, yeah, first, yeah. first things Maybe if first. Maybe stuck with the woolly mammoths, it would be okay. Let's <laughs> not let's not create like you know horrible predators right off the bat. That just seems like a really bad idea. I don't think we need any horrible predators. No. We are the horrible predators. Technically, yes. <laughs> so yeah, well, a, a woolly mammoth would be kind of cool. You know, I think there is actually some good reasons for this kind of research. Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is, is especially with what's going on in the world right now. Um, I could see having it, but there's a, this idea in science that just because you can do something, you should, yeah. and, and that just is not um, a good idea it's not I, wise. when it comes to this type of thing. So I could definitely see where this is going. They're saying it's about six years out, so we'll see what happens. Hmm. Steve Wozniak appears to be launching a space garbage company. Yep. Now, we've talked about this in the past. There's a lot of garbage circling the Earth in orbit. Mm-hmm. And this is something that has been a concern for quite a while and is becoming more and more of a problem. In fact, they think some of the damage that was recently done to the space station was a small bolt or something that was in orbit and went through one of the panels. So, so I have a question. Is Is the stuff that's flying around like... Valuable metal? Uh, some of it is. Some of it absolutely Yeah, you is. might make some good dough out of that. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, get things cleaned up. Because the thing of it is, is this is definitely an issue. Now, there's been some talk about different ways to deal with this. And there's actually a couple of different companies that are trying to come online with some solutions to be able to clean out the orbital space. But I know that uh, Steve has especially, you know, we all know him from Apple, of course, and the San Jose Comic-Con, and a number of other things he's done in the world. So he tends to be successful, and I hope he is here, because this would be something that would be very, very beneficial. Agreed. Michelin's airless passenger car tires get their first public outing. Yeah, and when this item was sent in, the question was, does that mean we're all going to be driving around on donut tires? And after a little bit of research on it, the answer to that is no. What there is is a new technology. Uh, not completely new, but it's new to have it at scale where they're actually going to be trying it out in a real-world environment now. And one of the big things is is a lot of tires in the millions every year get taken off cars early because of things like the sidewalls getting ruptured and all of that kind of stuff that happens just from stuff being on the road, these type of things. It creates a lot of waste. Mm-hmm. also creates a lot of problems if you're driving and have a tire go flat. I mean, it's inconvenient at the very least, but it can also cause damage to your car and accidents and, and different things yeah. like that. So they've had run flat tires for a while now. In fact, I know in BMW, in that uh, vehicle, if you can call it that, that I had for a little while, they didn't even bother putting a spare in anymore. It was just, it was a run flat tire. If the tire went flat, you got an indicator on your dashboard and you had 60 miles before you couldn't drive. 
And um, so whether that's good or bad is a topic for another discussion. But the thing of it is, is these are different than that. These will run. You don't have to pump them up. They're uh, made with spokes in the actual tires. And there's some other things that go into it beyond that. But that's really where it is. So is it going back to like, like the old, old tires that did not have tubes in them? Uh, it's a it's a completely different design. Okay. So it's it, those were like really they were supposed to be very um, uh, jarring to ride in. Yeah, which is why we went to tires with air in them because it cushions the ride. They're, you know, that's yeah. one of the reasons. But no, this is a completely different design. It doesn't have that problem, even though it doesn't have air. It's still able to cushion the ride based on its design, just like tires with air in them would. So if it's something that works, and once they start testing it out, they can flush out any other bugs that might be in it, it might actually be a real good design and solve some of the problems that we're dealing with. Keep in mind, our two-tire technology goes back to, I believe, the 30s, and it was designed before that. So we're still riding around on something. They've updated the you know, the rubber in them and all that kind of stuff with more mm-hmm. modern materials, but the actual core of that design is very old. And having something that would replace it with modern tech would actually make sense as long as this is something that'll work. So hopefully they'll be able to do this. I could see where this could solve a lot of problems, but I could also see if it's not done right where it could create some too. Zoom plans to add real-time translation for 12 languages next year. Yeah, and question one on this one, we're a technology pop culture show, is what languages? And some of the suggestions were Klingon. Uh, what what mm-hmm. else? Uh, <laughs> Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, I'm hoping and for Elvish. I, I think the Elvish language is Sindarin. Yep, yep. And uh, our Dungeons and Dragons people, we have uh, you yeah. know Draconian. Uh, no, they are going to use real languages. Oh, um, oh good. <laughs> well, actually, some of these languages are actually becoming more and more real. Mm-hmm. People have conversations in Klingon. This is true. They write. They wrote this, books in Klingon. Yeah. No, yeah. actually, that is that is absolutely true. Uh, these languages have been created. But when I go with that, I'm saying actual spoken languages. That uh, And it's actually kind of a cool technology. From what they're looking at doing here, the person talks. Now, you would still see their mouth move as they were saying it in their original language. But what you would hear would be in your translated language. So this is like the Star Trek ideal thing. A universal translator, kind of. Yeah, uh, that that'd direction. be kind of cool. That would be awesome. And with, with, wow. with modern processing and everything, we have voice recognition, all that kind of stuff now. This How is actually very is real possible. Uh, it, well, it's in testing right now. Okay, because having the wrong thing said could really cause problems. Absolutely, and you're looking at context <laughs> and verb conjugation that's different. You know, So there's a lot they have to do, but I think it's possible. Right now, I don't know what the accuracy is. They haven't published that yet, just that it's looking like it's going to be successful. And Zoom plans to have it next year. Well, we've got a great show for you this week. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Interesting question this week on YouTube. And Gretchen, what was it that was asked? Um, remember years ago, um, TV, they regulated it so that you wouldn't have subliminal advertising hidden in the images. This was also done on um, printed uh, items as well. And um, I was... 
the question is, is that is YouTube and other streaming services regulated? You know, it's an interesting, it's an actually a very interesting topic. And us talking about it, this is not a legal opinion or anything like that. It's just from working in the industry. But I do know that there is very different and very minimal regulation for online streaming services like that. So mm-hmm. as a, for example, I'll come back to the subliminal stuff here in a minute, but as for example, on that kind of thing, on broadcast on air television, there are things that you are not supposed to say. George right. Carlin did a bit on this of the words not to say on the air. No. And uh, yes, he did. You know, so repeat. You know, I can't repeat yeah. them right now, of course, but, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing on our podcast, we could. So the version oh. of this show that goes on the air, you can't because it is an FCC regulation. But if we really wanted to go there, we could. So like Howard Stern is a, for example, who likes to use some colorful language on his show. When he was on the air, it was restricted. But as soon as he moved to satellite radio, he could say whatever he wanted. And <laughs> this is the case across the board. So if you watch something on Netflix, you could have a very different experience than if you oh, were yeah. on your broadcast television channel, you know? There are moments when I'm, I'm, I'm like surprised, like, oh, he just said a four-letter word. Oh, yeah. dear. Oh, that's right. I'm not watching old television. Yeah. I'm watching something else. And that's what mm-hmm. it comes down. Now, the FCC does have some interesting things on that. There's a time at night after prime time that there isn't the specific rules. They still have some regulation, but it's not defined. So it is an absolute, but when you do stream, and this is something to especially be aware of if you have kids that use these services, which most do, Netflix and Disney Plus and all the rest of them, that it is absolutely possible to have things that parents might find objectionable. And there's a lot of it. It can go a lot further than just swearing. I mean, I, I've seen full-on almost pornography on some things that are streamed. <laughs> I'm surprised at some of the love scenes that I've seen on some shows, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, it, it gets a little in your face and goes nuts. Some of the violence is a little over the top, too. And I mean, it, just in uh-huh. my opinion. And yeah. th- But the thing of it is, is, again, what you're dealing with is something that you're subscribing to, and it's not on the air, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And when you go in that direction, it does reduce the restrictions. So in answer to the initial questions, things like subliminal advertising and some of the other things that would be restricted, you don't have the rules on stream thing. The only rules that do exist that I'm aware of is they've recently passed a thing because it was becoming extremely problematic that if you direct your content at children, then there's certain restrictions that you do have to abide by. And one of them is knowing that that's the case. And then it's a little bit different where you would go from there. And that rule is actually an act that applies to online media. So it isn't just a YouTube or a service like that. It, it also is websites and that type of thing. So that does get into a little bit more restriction on all of this kind of stuff, but it is nowhere near what you would find. You know, if you, if you tune into your channel that's over the air, that type of a thing, it's pretty well assured that what you watch is at least not going to be completely over the top. Online, it's definitely a good idea to check it out first. <laughs> so the, well, what I was getting at was like subliminal messages, not just, um, you know, the old thing of, oh, go out and buy this product. You could have other things that, your, um, are, your, are, that make people upset, make them depressed, make angry, right. make them hate people. What you're talking about is the idea of hidden things in the audio or video track yeah and Mm -hmm. from what i can tell that is not restricted 
So I've been trying to go through and actually preparing for talking about this today and see if I could find anything like that. Uh And I went through and I didn't. Um, So it doesn't seem like it's too widely out there, or if it is, it isn't in the stuff that I was looking at. And I tried to look at a variety of things. But as far as it being illegal or anything like that, and again, it's just a layman's opinion, it does not appear to be. So you are restricted. You can't use copyrighted content without a license. So music, that kind of a thing would have to be original or licensed. There are rules for that. (laughs) But as far as actually dealing with the content outside of content being directed to children, you're, it's pretty, you know, just a free world out there. And it is something you definitely want to be careful of because when, you know, streaming content in the last few years, and we've talked about this here before, is really disrupted the pay TV industry. Yes, it has. And it continues to. Subscribers are still dropping off. So what we would have used not so long ago, your cable services or your direct TV, you know, just those kind of things have been really in a lot of ways switched over to the, what these call were over the top video services, which is your YouTube and all of these different things, Hulu and that kind of thing. And What's going on here is a lot of those services now offer regular television channels. So when you subscribe to them, you can get your history channel and your news channels and all that kind of stuff that you would have originally had to have paid for. Right. So as that competition's out there, it means that the cable company's not the only place you can go. Now, of course, right now for internet access, in most markets, it is still pretty limited to cable or DSL, fiber, if you have it, that kind of a thing. But that's changing, too. With things like the internet service providers like Starlink and the one that Amazon's doing. And another thing is, is they have a new standard that's rolling out for television broadcasts that is interactive over the air. And while I haven't seen this work yet because I don't have it available, there is supposed to be a way to get internet access over broadcast television. And (laughs) when all of these things start to come out, that's going to give you a lot of choice and a lot of competition to the providers there as well. So when you think about it, it really is interesting to kind of see the direction this is going. But you're right, not a lot of regulation. Know what your kids are looking at, especially, and know what you're looking at. I mean, you know, I'm I'm an adult, and the, the, some of this stuff to me is over the top. I it's and I'm not by any means that picky on it. Well, I, the thing is, is if somebody uh, is swearing, or if there's a lot of violence, or or you're uncomfortable with the sexual uh, imagery. You can turn it off, but the subliminal stuff, you don't know yeah, that you it's don't know, there. You don't know that it's there. So. And that's what bothers me. It's that stuff that really makes me concerned. So I think keep an eye on things. Know what you're watching. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Coming back at you with User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we attempt to give you answers. Hopefully correct. How do you get us your questions? Well, that's a good question. Give us a call, 503-766-6264. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Social media, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, or our website at userfriendlyshow.com. All righty, what questions do we have this week? Why do some planes fly slower than others? 
All right. So to put this question into a little bit of context, because it <laughs> just a little seem yeah. really obvious from the way that yeah. is, uh, is worded. <laughs> this actually is a listener's question. And more specifically, when I got to talk to her about this, um, she's an aviation buff and into these things. And what the question really actually focuses more on is the idea of when you have two of the same kind of planes. So let's say a Boeing 737 for commercial aviation, and one is one airline and one is the other. And one plane leaves before the other to the same destination, same weather conditions, all that kind of stuff, but arrives afterwards. Why is this the case? So in doing a little bit of research on this, I actually found there's actually a number of different characteristics that play into this. First of all is the airline. Some airlines base saving fuel. If you fly slower, you save fuel. Other airlines want to cram as many flights as they can into one day. So they fly faster to get more flights. So that's part of it. So that's a purely logistical decision that has nothing to do with the plane itself. Uh-huh. Now, the other, the other side of this comes from the fact that weight is different. Sometimes maybe a plane isn't flying with a full load of people or cargo or whatever. Oh, yeah. So that, that can also change things too. <sighs> but it seems like this really comes down to not a question of the equipment because if it's the same model, same plane, same weather condition, same everything, technically it should be able to go at the same speed. So yeah. it could even be pilot flying style. Exactly. All of that can play into it. So it's a lot more than just the equipment. Is fusion becoming a reality? Talked about this a little bit hmm. earlier in the year, and it looks like they're actually making a lot of progress. They have an electromagnetic system they're using now that works. It's very strong. They also have a specific kind of laser to do the fusion initiators. So hmm. it's looking like this could be a power source within our lifetime, something that actually could be used. And because this works the opposite of like a nuclear plant where it builds up instead of breaking down the atom, you don't have the danger. Cool. Crazy. Do delivery companies use AI cameras in their vans? So I'm going to pick on somebody, our listener here, who said I could mention this company. This comes from an Amazon driver. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the concern is, is that they are using cameras in the delivery vans to monitor the drivers. Now, that in of itself isn't anything that unexpected. We seem to be on camera with everything we do now. It seems a little weird. Anybody that works remotely. But here's where the problem is. The cameras monitor how the driver is driving. So, so far, that's good. Is he driving safe? Is she doing the right thing? The problem is, is when the driver looks into their rearview mirrors or looks around to the car in front of them, it's actually dinging them. So it creates a record that's part of their employment history (laughs) based on how they drive. And the thing of it is, is it's not monitoring the driving correct all the time. At least that appears to be the case. And the ability to audit or object to any of these things is very, very difficult to do, apparently, with Amazon. That seems kind of uncool. If I want to be able to look into my mirrors to make sure I'm not hitting anybody. Or that somebody isn't driving weird. Right, exactly. That's called normal driving and safe driving, right? Yeah. So, and But that is that is definitely the case here. And I think... So this, they're getting penalized for looking in the mirror? Yes. Okay, that there's a problem with that. Because I was told when I learned how to drive that you should be looking at the mirror every every few seconds. And I don't mean looking at the mirror, you know, checking my makeup looking in the mirror 
for cars, what's going on behind right. me Ex- and exactly. around me. That's just part of the, you know, yeah. safety is a, and looking at what's around you. And if you look at a lot of newer tech and cars, you have digital rear view cameras and all kinds of things that are based on this idea. Mm-hmm. And here we have a situation where it's supposedly at least penalizing the driver for trying to do drive safe, safe driving. So, all right, I've got one other quick question to ask you. We've got just a little bit of time left here. Um, what does uh, George Lucas's first wife think of what's going on in Disney right now? Don't mention names. Um, it's it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be real generic about it, it's bad. I think that sums it up. In the next uh, couple of, she doesn't like what's been done. Not yeah. one bit. Uh, and it's couple- specifically. The sequels. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to actually be commenting on this in the next couple of weeks and getting someone in that actually knows the inside of it. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Clark Boyan. Well, thanks, guys. I'm catching up with an old colleague from my Peppermill AV technician days. I did a lot of concerts there and a lot of large convention shows with audio, video, just everywhere. And the person that I have with me today is a very interesting guy. I've learned a lot from him. He is what I would consider an audio guru. His name is Clark Boyan. And uh, Clark, I want to appreciate uh, being able to flag you down today and having you join me here on User Friendly. Thank you. Happy okay. to be here. Oh, you know, it's, uh, I know we've been trying to do this for a couple of weeks, but I know that you're a really busy guy. And I know that uh, you recently left the Pepper Mill after a good period of time doing a lot of really big shows and everything. Um, and I know that because of some legal reasons, you can't exactly say what it is that you're doing, but you are working on a national show right now that's touring around the country. Yes, it's a North American musical tour. Okay. So I got, nice. got back into the theater business. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not a necessarily a huge, I guess that would be a kind of a huge change from what we were doing at the Pepper Mill. Because a lot of what we were doing were like music concerts. It's definitely a change. It, it makes you realize how vast sound and audio really is. There's so many different industries. If you went to broadcast or the studio, live sound, there's a plethora of knowledge, and it just it's very humbling. Yeah. Well, certainly a lot of learning. And, and speaking of learning, um, what is your background in audio? Like, did you, you went to school for this? Yeah, I went to school at. Chico State University, okay. and I actually, yeah, actually, <laughs> Chico State. I, I'm I'm also a Chico State alumnus. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Really enjoyed Chico. Yeah, I I didn't actually graduate there. Um, I started my first two and a half years of film school and TV was in the School of Communications at Chico, and then I finished up at SDSU. But uh, yeah, Chico was oh. pretty wonderful. Chico was amazing. They very. Strong programs, a great education. The only problem is you can't stay there when you graduate. So. Yeah, not a lot of industry there. Yeah, not a lot yeah. of industry. Um, so um, from Chico, I understand because when you came to the Pepper Mill, 
Um, what I heard about you is that you had done a lot of pretty big show work uh, coming from our, uh, I don't know if I call it a sister city, but you were, you'd come from Las Vegas where you had done a lot of large show work. What are some of the things you did there? Yeah, so when I first got there, I actually was in the studio for a while, but I transitioned into live sound pretty fast. And I ended up on the Cirque du Soleil Beatles Love Show. Wow. And and opened that show. Okay. So I was there for, there for about six years. So when you're talking live show, you're basically talking about large-scale performances in, in from a, front of an audience in, as opposed to closed session, very controlled studio recording sessions. Absolutely, yeah. It's, once you get into that size of a production, I mean, it's impossible to do by yourself. There's, yes, well, shows of that yeah. magnitude, yeah. Yeah, well, some of my recollections and some one of the reasons why I was interested in bringing you on is because as a filmmaker, audio is certainly an important aspect of any kind of production, but the audio approach is very, very different. It's probably more akin to doing controlled studio stuff as opposed to something that's live. But I just remember a lot of the things that you taught me about I mean, just the, the way that you approach to setting up for a large show is it's massive. The size of the amplifiers, the way they have to be rigged, their placement. I mean, there's a, there really is a true hard science behind how you deploy a large concert performance or a large live show. Absolutely. I mean, you can just set up PA and go, but there's a lot of factors that you're going to be fighting as far as issues with the room and stuff that you're going to have to overcompensate in your mix. Whereas if you could actually get a consistent plan and a consistent workflow with system tuning, you could guarantee those consistent results. I mean, yeah. it's like if you have something, even for touring professionals, if they have a, an established mix that they know the mix is good when they go to that next venue the only thing different is the room. It's the same band, the same mics, the same speakers. So they're, it's all about the, the tuning of the PA. So, then, so some of those variables are controllable. I mean, some of those variables aren't really truly variables if they're tried and true and tested. It's, it's the acoustics or the, you know, the new room, the new venue that you're going into that creates the new variables of how do I make the sound as best as I can. Exactly. I mean, when we worked at the Pepper Mill, every show was completely unique. So the audience seating was completely different. So you'd have to calculate displays of the speakers and to focus the speakers where you want them. And you'd, that would change the, the overall voicing of the cabinets. So that there was a lot that went into it and to get those consistent results. Yeah, well, this is where we're talking about the science. Because I know some of the things that, that you taught me that um, I had heard of, but I hadn't quite grasped in terms of what they were as um, an item to learn or things like, you know, phase cancellation and, you know, how to calculate for things like echo and reverb. I mean, it really truly is a science. Now, did, did your, your background or the schooling at Chico, is that what provided you that educational background or was it your work in Vegas? Yeah, a lot of it was working for Cirque du Soleil. They, they partnered with a lot of vendors and had so much product that we've got a lot of special 
tailored classes just for us. Great opportunities that I learned a lot of the foundation of system tuning and a lot of my technical skills. They're, they're a company that they don't just buy a cable, they'll make what they need. Everything will be to length and you really learn how to terminate cables and, and make everything from scratch, really. Yeah. I mean, it's so that's where basically when you became kind of a, a walking encyclopedia, uh, at least the way I defined you sometimes was uh, was just this kind of this specialized training that you got. Well, that's I mean, that's kind of how to put hard. That's kind of hard to put a price on stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so the I know you can't talk too much about the show that you're doing, but how like how extensive is the show? Are you like all over the country or are you, is it global? I mean, how, how busy are you? It's a North American tour. So there's a few stops in Canada and it's across the U S so it's, it's a pretty involved show. It's, I definitely left a job to do even more work, you know, <laughs> but you love what you're doing. I love what I'm doing. Yeah. It, it's, it's just Really a treat. Wow. Well, um, I think what we're going to need to do is kind of catch up with you as time goes on just to see how the tour is going. Eventually, you may be able to talk about what it is, but we're going to respect that for now. So, Clark Boyan, I do appreciate you joining us today here on User Friendly, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Interesting discussion topics this week. I, I mean, you know, we were talking about YouTube and the streaming and kind of all that deal. And I know there was another question that came in about televisions. Yep. You know, the old thing about don't sit too close to the TV, it'll hurt your eyes. And so it was kind of like, well, why did it hurt people's eyes? And is that still the case with modern televisions? Right. And again, like uh, we were saying earlier in the show, it's a layman's opinion. But I do know that there's been a lot of changes in the technology. And in the time, because I was told the same type of thing growing up, you had mm -hmm. CRT yeah. televisions. Yes. So it had a beam inside that uh, worked. And from that standpoint, especially the really old ones, there could be emissions from them. Yeah. So a picture tube in that nature, and I'm sure there's people that will argue this with me, but the point of it is, is that kind of a technology was where that whole idea came from. And new modern stuff, flat screen televisions and these type of things that we use now don't do that. At least they don't do what a CRT did in that respect. Now, that being well, said... Those old TVs had like uh, almost like static electricity. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there were some of the early models. If you touch the screen, you actually could get a shock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Grow, growing up, everything I had had glass, so if you touched it, it was glass. But I know mm -hmm. some of the really old stuff could actually be quite dangerous. And in fact, there's an episode of The Simpsons where the, he's been watching TV a lot uh, growing up, I think in the 50s or 60s, and then they show the house later and you could still see his shadow had been burned into the paint behind him. Now, I don't <laughs> think it was that bad, but... <laughs> well, no, there's, there was a lot of radiation, but you know, yeah. it's one of those things. No, but mod modern equipment is better on that. now. 
I think if you were to ask an eye doctor about the amount of screen time we all have, yes, especially yeah. for me in this ba- this last year, uh-huh. that's probably not real good for you. But it's for a different reason. You just you know staring at anything forever is uh, is just not a good idea for a lot of reasons. We actually had a, a psychologist on the show in the past that talked about this, and especially with kids and things, this is something you want to watch and check out and talk to the professionals because it can really get bad very quickly. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of other problems that it can cause that aren't just with your eyes, with socialization and things. So, you know, definitely something you want to think about. But the actual idea of radiation coming from a television and all that kind of stuff goes back to the old CRT and technologies like that. I don't know what else it would be. That was the technology. And yeah. from that, you were having a beam shooting at the screen and the idea of that getting through the front you know, in some respect, definitely, uh, definitely was possible. So something to think about and just most of us, I, I mean, I'm sure there's still CRT equipment out there, but it is not used anywhere near what it was before. And if you still have a CRT set, maybe, you know, look at the upgrading. It might be time. <laughs> anyway, until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.